You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Court Today replay on C103. We welcome you along to the programme due to demand an extra date for Rod Stewart live at the Marquee. All this week, of course, we've been giving away tickets to go to see Rod Stewart on the 20th of June. And we've been mentioning all week that the tickets were going on sale at nine o'clock this morning. And I think literally from the dot at nine o'clock, Ticketmaster.ie got swamped with Rod Stewart fans trying to purchase uh, tickets. So very quickly, they have put on a, an extra extra date for Live at the Marquee and it's going to be the following day the 21st of June so those tickets are now available as well at Ticketmaster.ie but we have some of the very first tickets that were printed for the June 20th gig to give away and we'll give them away a little bit later on today as we've been doing all week you're listening out for a Rod Stewart track we'll just play a Rod Stewart track I don't tell you when I play it as soon as you hear it you need to start texting or whatsapping to 086 to 103 103 then one lucky listener gets selected joins me on air for a quick chat and a very simple question and it's an A or a B answer so you have a 50-50 chance all of them are very easy and you'll win for yourself a pair of tickets to head along and see Rod live at the Marquee on his first gig which will be the 20th but the 21st has now been added 0818103103 John in Blarney has already been on to us this morning now he he declares that he is a lifelong Fianna Fáil supporter and he's wondering what are other Fianna Fáil members are they happy about Bertie Ahern coming back into the fold John thinks it's going to be great for the party and he actually goes further he would love to see Bertie Ahern become president of Ireland as a and run as a Fianna Fáil uh, candidate and of course what John is speaking about it's making all of the papers uh, today and uh, it includes the uh, Taoiseach and leader of the Fianna Fáil party, Micheál Martin, welcoming Bertie Ahern back into the party, despite the fact that it was Micheál Martin who was the one who forced him to leave the party now, just over a decade ago, and that was, of course, following the findings from the Mahan Tribunal. Now, it's only making the papers now, and we're only getting to hear about it now, but it seems Bertie Ahern very quietly rejoined the Fianna Fáil party, and that was back in uh, December. He obviously had to send in a member 
membership request. It had to be signed off by the party's honorary secretaries and that actually was done in December but now the news is getting out. Now the move followed a groundswell of support within the party for the former leader to join particularly in advance of the 25th fifth anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement. It'll be the uh, and, and I always know the date it's the 10th of April because it was actually my birthday my birthday fell on a Good Friday uh, 25 years ago and that was the date of the Good Friday uh, Agreement so it's the actual official 25th anniversary is the, tw- is the 10th of April but there's many uh, sort of acknowledgements and uh, celebrations of it in advance of the actual uh, date but we've got to go back to 2012 so it's over uh, 10 years ago Micheál Martin at the time threatened to expel Bertie Ahern from the Fianna Fáil party and that's because the findings had come out from the Mahan Tribunal which was a long long running tribunal and of course at the time for Bertie Ahern it showed that and it raised serious questions about his uh, finances Bertie Ahern decided then to quit the party before Micheál Martin could forcibly kick him uh, out and of course the big one from Bertie Hearn's financial affairs at the time included the news that everybody's jaw dropped that Bertie Hearn actually didn't own a bank account and um, when he was serving as the finance minister and people scratched their heads and couldn't believe that a finance minister of a government would not actually hold a bank account and of course he had significant sums of sterling he said at the time that he'd won it by betting in on horse racing and over the past decade since he stepped down uh, Michal Martin regularly ruled out Bertie Ahern returning to the party but it seems that Michal Martin has softened his stance in recent years and actually the Fianna Fáil leader uh, according to the papers today has actually been consulting with Bertie on issues relating to the North particularly in the aftermath of uh, Brexit. Now uh, Michal Martin has welcomed Bertie Ahern back into the fold ahead of the former leader's attendance today actually at an event that that will mark the 25th anniversary of the Good Friday uh, Agreement. And speaking to reporters in Washington, which is where Mio Martin is at the moment, he said, above and beyond everything, he has made an outstanding contribution to peace in Northern Ireland and he continues to work on that agenda. He said, I believe in the context of that achievement, I welcome his uh, membership. And yeah, and I mean, I, I don't think anyone will ever take away from what Bertie Ahern did when it comes uh, to his contribution to peace in the uh, North. But John uh, mentioned in his comment this morning that he'd love the idea of Bertie Ahern running as a Fianna Fáil candidate in, in a forthcoming presidential election. Now, we do have a race for the Oris in 2025 we're two years away from uh, that and again according to newspaper reports it remains unclear whether Bertie Ahern would be the Fianna Fáil candidate for that particular party Uh, but a party source says there has been a lot of speculation over whether he would be interested in running for presidency but uh, one party source added that now that he's rejoined the party, he's still an ordinary member and he actually doesn't even have internal uh, voting rights in the first year of his uh, membership. But John's wondering, would he be, will this be good? He feels for the, for the Fianna Fáil party as a lifelong Fianna Fáil member, he feels it'd be good for the, for the party. And would people like the idea of 
Bertie O'Hearn running for president of this country and would he make a good president of this country? Some people commentating on Bertie O'Hearn returning to the Fianna Fáil uh, fold. Jim, rather tongue-in-cheek, says Patricia, I presume Bertie O'Hearn paid the €20 membership to the Fianna Fáil party by cash or maybe he has a bank account uh, since and maybe he did it online, Jim wonders. Somebody else has said, could he have paid by Revolut? Maybe he did. Maybe we don't know what his banking arrangements are at the moment. But then John uh, says, Patricia, I'm 77. I'm a lifelong Fianna Fáil man and I'll never again vote for them. Vote for him if Bertie Ahern comes back. It's awful to see that people can do wrong in politics and they're still there with us in 2023. Some things never change, says uh, John. Well, he is back in the party. He is a party member now. Uh, there's just speculation and people are wondering. Uh, would we, uh, people? Uh, John, one of our first callers um, in Blarney, would like the idea of him running for presidency and there has been much speculation that Fianna Fáil may put him down on the ticket for the 2025 race uh, to the Oris, but only time will tell. And certainly Bertie Ahern has never said anything uh, about it. Liam says, uh, Hi Patricia, what about Bertie and brown envelopes? Do we not uh, forget? John and Mallow says, Welcome back Bertie, any time. He's obviously a fan. And Mick says, Bertie Ahern would make a great president of this country. Look at his efforts with the peace process, bringing communities together in our once troubled land, not to mention his West Cork roots, says Mick. And that's the one thing, regardless of how people feel about Bertie Ahern's financial affairs and what came out of the Mahan Tribunal, I don't think anyone, and in fairness, Micheál Martin mentioned it as well, Any, no one will take from his outstanding contribution to peace in uh, Northern Ireland. OK, that's some of your comments on the return of Bertie Ahern to the Fianna Fáil party. He's now a signed up member since December. Can I send congratulations please to Ballygown National School. They have become the newly crowned county champions of Ski and a Skull Corky yesterday in Nipirshik GAA uh, Club and I've got a gorgeous photograph of the winning team and their cup and some of their coaches and trainers I'm assuming uh, with them and with great pride they're wearing their GAA jerseys which has the C103 logo embezzled across the front of it. I'm assuming they won that in some competition here at the radio station many years ago because it's the older logo uh, but they're wearing the C103 logo with great pride and we are thrilled for their win. That's Ballygown National School. They are the county champions for Ski in the Skull, Corky. Congratulations all round. And a reminder to you, the C103 summer getaway is uh, coming uh, soon we're going to we're planning on sending people uh, to uh, three amazing holidays we've got Salou we've got Lanzarote we've got Mallorca uh, we, uh, and you're listening out for the C103's Summer Sunshine Song uh, well, for your chance uh, to uh, win and we'll tell you more about those songs from next Monday so make sure you're tuned our way uh, for that okay John Paul's taking your calls at 0818 103 103 now last month the Department of Education warned that it was anticipating significant challenges in areas across the country in ensuring sufficient school places were available for September 2023, particularly a post-primary level. And then only last week we heard how 26 pupils in Limerick were left without an offer of a second level school place for next September. So to discuss the situation locally, I'm joined by from West Cork by Fianna Fáil, Adult Deputy Christopher O'Sullivan and also I'll be chatting 
in a moment from East Cork by Fine Gael councillor uh, Anthony Barry. But uh, Christopher O'Sullivan joins me first. Good morning to you, Christopher. Hey, Patricia. Now, uh, let me start with uh, Clonakilty. Now, there was a problem trying to get into first year in Clonakilty Community College, but I believe it's been sorted. I think it was 14 boys. Yeah, there was uh, 14 uh, students, uh, all boys, looking to get into the community college in uh, Clonakilty. Thankfully, and I must say great credit to uh, the principal, brand new principal in, in uh, the community college there, Tommy Brown, um, and the staff there, and of course the board of management who yesterday they approved the um, enrolment of those 14 students who are on the waiting list for, for September next year. That's a great result. Um, obviously the parents, the guardians, the students themselves went through a bit of anxiety, wondering whether they'll have a place or not. Uh, the difficulty in Clannacilty, of course, is that the community college is a co-ed school, so mm-hmm. the boys and girls, the convent itself is uh, single-ed, girls only, so um, that, that creates a difficulty. So while there may have been perhaps spaces in the, uh, in the, in the secondary school in the convent, um, boys wouldn't have been able to avail of those, of those places, so that, that's where the conundrum was. But they found extra capacity. What we really need to do now is ensure uh, that going forward, Clannacilty has an expanding population. It's going to go from about 4,500 to over well over 6,000 by 2028 is the projection of increase in population. Clearly, we need a plan to ensure that this doesn't happen again. So, uh, what, what do you, does it need another school? Well, it, it doesn't help, I suppose, to go back in time, but I would, you know, if I was involved in the process many years ago, I would love to have seen a, a community school built in Clannacilty, like the, what they have done in, for example, in Skibbereen, where they have a fantastic community school there. They've won and done Manway. Uh, the model is replicated right throughout the county. Um, the horses bolted in Clannacilty, unfortunately, when it comes to that. Uh, there's been a, a 12 million euro project in the community uh, college uh, that has increased capacity by 50. That's clearly not enough, as we've just found out this year. Um, and also, in terms of the convent, um, uh, uh, funding has been approved for a multi million euro project to. Uh, refurbish uh, and renovate the old convent there and that will increase capacity within the convent um, but you're still going to have the issue where uh, male students in particular are going to find it difficult so what I've done is um, a, a meeting has been secured with Minister Norma Foley and department officials to look at how the community college can look towards expanding their facilities I know it's something that the principal is interested in they'll have to work with the ETB the school is an ETB school and there is land out the back of the community college that is zoned for educational purposes. I would hope to see that that would be acquired and would expand the school. But that's not going to have, happen overnight. 2028 isn't that, isn't that far away. So we need to start the ball rolling now in terms of increased capacity. Yeah, we need to plan so. for the future for sure. Has there ever been any talk of the convent becoming co-ed? Do you know what, Patricia? I actually attended the convent myself. Uh, listeners might be uh, surprised to, okay, to hear. Okay, explain that. Uh, yeah, so many uh, many years ago, when I when I did my uh, original leaving search in 2001, um, there was a group of us, and uh, we all had this obsession that we'd, we'd go to the convent one day. So we actually ended up uh, repeating. There was about 10 or 12 of us. We repeated our leaving search, and at that time, the convent was the only school to uh, offer a repeat leaving search. We all repeated. I might have that I... I did much much better in my second effort at the leaving cert, but so there was um there, there was a time when they offered repeat uh, uh, classes for for boys. There was also a time when they did things like art, they did things like music for the male students on the community college. But as far as I'm aware, all that has, has ended. So there was a time when there was um, a door opened. We've seen what happened what's happening in the convent in Bandon, for example, which is now co-ed. 
So perhaps that's a discussion that needs to happen as well. Yeah, but but you know, I'm delighted for the 14 boys that they have finally had uh, been offered a, a place. But as you say, they've been they've been months now, haven't they? Thinking that they don't have a school place, not knowing where they were going in September. It that kind of stress level. That's not fair. Yeah, and it it, it was particularly escalated in Clannacilty because, you know, if, if I gave Bandwell's example there, they've they've got a, a great selection of secondary schools there uh, that are available. You know, you say both both in Brogan's and the convent, for example, are are, are co-ed. Just as two examples, in this instance, they had no other option. So I can mm. imagine parents who are obviously settling in Clannacilty, you know, living in Clannacilty. The only alternatives that you, you go to Band and you go to Ross Carberry or you know somewhere that's uh, a, a good way away. So stress levels were, were high. We need to avoid that in the future, and um, that's why. Look, in, in terms of creation of extra capacity, I must Minister Norm Foley hasn't been found wanting. We've had you know she's managed through I think really good work with her in the department to find a com- uh, accommodation, and extra places for fifteen thousand. Ukrainian students and that's welcome and I, I must say that, that that's an, an unbelievable effort on behalf of the schools, the communities and the department to do that um, but going forward you know we have population surges in, in certain towns so there needs to be a strategic plan there's, there's a 10 billion euro education budget there um, you know I, I know myself that particularly with primary schools they've been very successful in applying for additional accommodation there's extra special needs classrooms being built there's extra uh, classrooms being built toilet facilities etc uh, right dotted throughout the, the county um, we need to see more of that in secondary schools Yeah, primary schools have really stepped up to the mark particularly when it comes to special ed Stay there because I want to bring go to East Cork and bring in uh, Councillor Anthony uh, Barry uh, Good morning to Anthony Good morning Patricia Okay, what's the situation with secondary school places in your area? I suppose this year doesn't seem to be as problematic as it has been for the last few years um, and that could be just you know a blip uh, which you will often get. Um, be, having spoken to some people, there are still issues with um, parents taking up two and three offers over two or three different schools, which I think is a, is a serious issue. Uh, I know that was a, a serious problem for the last couple of years. But we had a situation where, you know, you, you did eventually get spaces, but Patricia, it was a nightmare for parents and the trauma for the students themselves who were involved in this, not knowing where or if they had a space uh, in September for their kids. So, like, I mean, it, it just can't go on. And I think the problem we have in East Cork is that, look, obviously, Carrytool, Middleton area in particular, because of the railway line, has been identified for huge population growth over the next um, over the next number of years. So there is going to be a continual demand for school places in Carrytool and Middleton. And I think we're probably on primary level, we're probably okay. I mean, the largest school campus uh, that has ever been built in the state is being built in Carrick Tool at present, uh, two primary schools and a secondary school. But to give you an idea of how long this process takes, when Carrick Tool Community College was first put in temporary accommodation up on the Ballyseedy site, you may know where it is. I do, yeah. Um, yeah, that was put in there. They were promised that by junior staff, they'd be into a new building. Yeah. Those students did leaving stuff last year. They're gone. And they're gone. And the building still isn't open, albeit it hopefully will be open for next Christmas. But the point I'm making is that if this happens again and it takes 10, 12 years to actually go through this process, we should be identifying the sites now and the sites are there, but identifying them and get this in process. I know Educate Together, uh, the grouping with the Educate Together 
are definitely looking for a post-primary campus in the Carrickool Middleton area as they have a primary school already, you know. Yeah, because when, they, when as hopefully, fingers crossed by next Christmas, the, that Carrickool uh, Community College, I think it's, it's a thousand places, but you're, you're reckoning that that may not even be enough? Well, that's uh, as good as full at the moment. The minute that'll open, it, it'll, be, it'll be as good as full. Um, and like what my worry is, and I, and I think it's perfectly reasonable, because of the shortage of places, a lot they, in the temporary accommodation, they took in uh, extra streams over the last couple of years to take pressure off of uh, the other East Cork areas, i.e. back down towards Middleton and, and back down towards ahead of Klein. So a lot of those children will have siblings, will have automatic access to the school. Mm-hmm. So you could actually find yourself in a position where uh, boys in particular, as we have a, a, an all-girls school, uh, that are getting a, a big extension from the department as well. But boys in particular could find themselves in county too, having to go to Middleton or even further afield and kids from further afield coming into county too. So it's, it's talk about sustainability doesn't make much sense to me. You know? Yeah, and there can be huge problems for parents then if siblings are in different schools um, and they would drop off in collection. That can be an absolute nightmare. Oh, it has. And I mean, you, you, we have pre-primary schools and different opening times and, and different closing times. And, and it, it does definitely cause issues and traffic congestion. I suppose we are lucky for this new campus is it's slap bang right in the middle of our community and all the housing will be around it, which is unusual really because you find that in a lot of places the schools are built on the periphery of the town. So everybody has to drive there or get delivered there in some way. Uh, whereas we're lucky that way. But however I think, you know, that if if the nature there are over between Carrickville and Middleton I think at the moment there are about sixteen hundred uh, housing applications got in the planning process, either with ABP or with Cork County Council. And like, this is where th- that area is going, driven by the railway line. So we need to plan. And like, schools are just one part of it. There's a lot more social infrastructure that needs to be delivered for this area as well, you know. Yeah. And just go back to one of your original points and the, and the problems that it can cause. And it's not <coughs> just caused here in Cork. I've, I've seen this reflected all over the country. This notion of parents accepting and applying for two or three different schools for their children and accepting two or three different uh, places. How do we get around that and stop that happening? Well, I mean, the obvious thing is that the principals, you either pay a fee and it's refunded when your child takes up the, the place and you lose it. Um, if they don't. If you don't. Yeah. Um, but I know principals that have tried to contact parents and they're just not getting a response. Um, and I suppose... Their, their baby is deciding, you know, which school do I want to go to, which school would I prefer, I have a choice of two or three schools. And it's grossly unfair um, on the other students that are looking, crying out, looking for a place. And it's very unfair to the principals and the actual schools themselves that are trying to plan. Mm. But it is happening, Patricia, and it's happening wholesale. And it is a difficult one to mitigate against. Yeah, and it's an, it's an nationwide issue. And it's just really unfair on those students then that are waiting without any school uh, uh, place and then of course if a school has a good reputation uh, pupils will travel from outside areas to attend that school does that then affect local children who can't get a place of course it does i mean it is and some schools would like to take the better students um because unfortunately uh, a lot of schools are measured now by uh, how the level the level of college um, applicants come from it and what courses they take up, which I think is grossly unfair because it, it gives a very skewed, uh, one-dimensional aspect to a, a school's potential and how the, the little students, all of us, Patricia, have looked back and you look 
back when you went to school there as well, how many students actually go out and end up in college and continue in the same field that they started over the primary degree? It changes. Mm. So, I mean, definitely schools with a more holistic approach should be looked at. But there is that, um, I suppose, issue where schools are, are weighted on how kids go to uh, the students end up in college or what course they're taking up. And I think that's grossly unfair. But we still have to get back to this idea that it's totally unacceptable that uh, parents are taking up two and three spaces. Yeah, and yeah. And let me just, just let me ask Christopher, is that a problem in, in West Cork, uh, Christopher, with people with parents holding two and three slots? No, it, it, it's not. No. A, I guess that, that that would be more of an issue unique to, to where Anthony is there. Um, but it, look, I can understand um, parents um, and children applying to, maybe applying to two or three different schools. We see that all the time. But to actually be offered places then and hold on to them last minute, um, at the disadvantage of other students, that's actually not good enough. That, that needs to be cracked down upon, and you know whether that needs to be looked at from a national level in terms of that approach. That that's uh, that's very surprising here, but thankfully it's it's a uh, it's not an issue, uh, not an issue at all here. Now you do have the issue where, as Anthony was speaking about, there's certain schools with certain reputation. Maybe they excel in academia, or maybe they excel in in trades or, or IT or technology, and you have it, it might be a perfect suit for uh, a certain student, but. Perhaps they're not from the feeder school. Perhaps they don't have a relative in the school. I mean, and I feel that that approach needs to be perhaps looked at because there might be a school that's a perfect fit for a student, but because they're maybe in the third feeder school or because they didn't have a brother or sister who attended before, they're they're discommoded. Um, there has to be some type of rationale. I get that, but um, no, they, that, that, I think that whole approach needs to be looked at. Okay, okay. And then just finally, can parents take comfort from the Department of Education uh, saying that uh, the that they're expecting that the decline, certainly for secondary school, is going to be, it's going to decline gradually from next year and that we shouldn't have the problems like what you had, Christopher, in Clonakilty this year? Well, the sounds of it, not, not, in, not in Anthony's area there where he's based in the own school in that area are not, not, certainly not down here in, in Clonakilty where, as I said to you there at the outset, the population now is 4,602 exactly. Yeah. It's expected to rise to 6,383. That's worth just by 2028. So we're definitely going to there's definitely whatever happens in other areas and perhaps they're referring to the city and because Limerick has been such a, a, a it's been so difficult in Limerick but certainly in kind of guilty the, the issue around capacity is going to stay yeah and, and, and Anthony I'm sure you would agree it's all well and good for the department to say based on the numbers say that are in fourth and fifth class at the moment oh we should be fine for the next couple of years but that's not factoring in new people moving into an area I'm sure Patricia in, in an area like East Cork that's just simply ridiculous. They should be looking at what the plan projection population growth plans are yeah. for a specific area. And this is what frustrates me. I really don't see the relevant bodies like the HAC, the Department of Education, uh, TUSLA, the, the local authority. How many times did they actually sit down and make these plans together looking forward? Because I, I know for a fact, since I've gone into the council, um, it frustrates me that the relevant state bodies don't actually sit down around the table and make those plans because you know, if that happened, uh, I know that there would be a lot of other facilities going into areas where you have this huge population growth as well. Yeah. OK, listen, Anthony, thank you for that. And uh, thanks for joining us on the programme. That's uh, East Cork, uh, Fine Gael Councillor Anthony Barry. And Christopher, just before I let you go, I can see we're getting a lot of calls and commentary in about uh, your former party leader, Bertie Hearn, being welcomed back into the Fianna Fáil party. Do you think it's a good move for the party? Well, Patricia... 
we, we need every member we can get, let's put it, put it that way. Um, I was thinking maybe I'd send a membership package out to yourself and John Paul there. We might try to, to <laughs> We're not to allowed. We're not allowed. <laughs> we're not, yes, we're not. But do you think, think it'll be good? I mean, we're certainly getting a lot of uh, people very happy, lifelong Fianna Fáil members, I have to say, who are declaring as lifelong Fianna Fáil members, very happy. But so many people citing the work, you know, we can never forget the work that Bertie O'Hearn and his outstanding contribution to the peace process. Bertie attended um, the Dick Barrett commemoration uh, down here in Ahios, uh, and he gave the oration. And um, I hadn't met him in, in, in a number of years. Um, I hadn't seen him in action since I'd say the 2007 election, where you know he. I remember he arrived in kind of Kilty uh, by helicopter actually down into the pitch and there was people who lined the streets of kind of Kilty, and I haven't seen that for any leader since, or any Taoiseach since, or any political leader here. So there was that, you know, he, he, he did have that. And I certainly saw it in action again in, in Ahiol where he meted the people, he greeted the people and he had that swagger and he had that uh, bit of magic. Look, I think where certainly we can benefit from uh, Bertie's input is as people have been texting into your show, his, his contribution to peace in the north uh, was immense. Um, and because of frailties there, I guess at the moment, issues with the um, protocol, um, I'm not surprised that Michal is kind of calling on him for advice and, and expertise in, in that whole area of diplomacy. So he's, he's, uh, there, he still has a skill set that I think the party can, can take advantage of. So Possible um, possible contender on the Fianna Fáil ticket for Orson Uthron for 2025? You know, he might have a bit of rivalry there, Patricia. You know, we don't know the, the, the Taoiseach's intentions. Yes, either. I mean, there could, outside the Connish, I should say, the, the, the current leader, Michal Martin, there could be a bit of a... Uh, the, the, there could be um, competition there. I, I don't know. Look, we, we crossed that bridge when it comes to it. I couldn't, I couldn't say it. It's not that far away. Listen, Christopher, we leave it there. Thank you for that and thanks for joining Thank us you. on the programme. Uh, good morning to you. That is West Cork uh, Fianna Fáil Dáil Deputy Christopher O'Sullivan. According to Bill Brown in this week's Corkman newspaper, a potential row is brewing between business owners on Mallow's Main Street and Cork County Council. It actually could have ramifications for villages and towns and even cities across the country. And to discuss this possible problem with the parklets in Mallowtown, I'm joined by Fine Gael Councillor Liam Madden. Good morning to you, Liam. Good morning, Patricia, uh, and um, to your listeners. Yeah. And I suppose, uh, good morning to you. I suppose, start by reminding listeners what these parklets are and why they were erected. Yeah, I suppose um, during the COVID there and um, uh, all that time, I suppose, look, there would be another. Uh, cities and um, other places before that I suppose in streets with, that are pedestrianised but I suppose they, they became a big focus in COVID because of, of the outdoor space um, you know plenty of um, um, air as well I suppose look the people were outdoors as well and and, and I suppose they've become I suppose an accepted part of Mallow now um, you know um, we have so many in the main street and look people the feedback from people is very positive. Um, people enjoy going in there, having their cup of coffee, or having their bit of food. So look, it, it has been and, and extremely busy during the summer months. Yeah, and I suppose during any festivals as well. You know, they, they can be used for different things as well. You know, they like the the arts group there now can use them for maybe they might do a bit of poetry reading in one place. They might move on some other way and do something else. You know, yeah, things like yeah. that. So, so who funded them initially? I suppose. Um, the council would have put a lot of the funding in there, but um, there was look, the cost was never covered totally. Like there was look, people did put in additional things themselves. They did put in, you know, some of them had to put in heating, they had to put in um, 
um, some roofing as well. Some so um, there was a, a percentage of the cost covered, but they all differed because, as, as you can see in town, they're they're all a bit different. But I suppose most of them were done by the put up by the the one um, person as well, and you know that that's another thing as well. So there was a lot of work, I suppose, as well. And look, they're like I suppose some of them are just like Lego you put together, and and you know they have to be. Um, there was a lot of. Um, walk went into it so when they have to be taken down I suppose as well um, and just to explain the problem is they have to be removed in order to resurface the road on Main Street yeah well I suppose they, I suppose the, the council staff and engineers would have visited the um, the, the owners and spoke to them in relation to the, the whole thing I suppose what was happening and so forth um, and I suppose look I suppose the, the owners and the business people and I suppose they were you look they, they did ask questions and I suppose um, um, the one thing that didn't come in at that stage was, was the cost but when, when the cost began to come out you know what this was going to cost in relation to removing them uh, it varied from 6,000 up to 9,000 that would include storage as well for over two weeks and uh, and re-erecting yeah yeah okay. that was uh, yeah so that was that would include the whole lot. So between the, between between six and ten thousand, yeah, and the, and, and, the, pro- and the, the yeah. problem now is who pays that money? Yeah, and I suppose the other thing as well. Look, the twenty fourth of January, I think that was when the, the notice was issued, and I suppose this work is commenced the fifteenth of February to the third of March, and I suppose the the council as well have have outlined why that because they did get a special slot in there that and, and they have a special arrangement and a deal I think on that work to be done, um because it it's going to make a fantastic job of the main street as well I suppose that's the other thing and I suppose what it's going to do as well put better signage and the the West End Junction going down to Dairy Gold and Little is all going to change as well it, it, it's going to be stop coming up the town and uh, coming down is going to have the right of way so it's hoping to do all that work as well and across the park as well Okay, it's it's work that badly needs to be done well, but for the, but for the business it. owners whose yeah. customers use these parklets yeah. they're now faced with a possible bill of up to €10,000 Yeah, yeah, from 6 day. and I suppose from the meeting the last day I, I did ask that people would that they would revisit business people again because the situation has changed, Patricia, because of, of the, the cost involved here. And I suppose, speaking to the council as well, they did offer in relation to storing these um, for the two weeks as well. You know, probably like, the storage cost there, I think, comes to nearly up to 1000 for to store them and over the two weeks with, with the supplier that would have put them up, you know. so. Um, but when the parklets went in initially, as you yeah. say, the initial funding was by the council and then it was up to business owners if they wanted to, you know, put lighting, heating in and, yeah. and many many of them did. Were the business owners told at that point that if they ever have to be removed and re-erected, you must do it at your own cost? Yeah, and, and I think that was, yeah, that was a, there was a licence agreement there. Um, but, like, you know... You'd hope that goodwill would prevail here because we all know it's present in relation to these costs. Uh, and I mean, just getting back to the cost there again, like the, the business people as well would have put in 
X amount, like the, the part that covers, it covers so much at the time. But they would have put in money as well. I think that's important to remember. And, and you know, put in the roof as well. So they they have a substantial cost in there. But the licence agreement would, would outline that as well in relation to removing that the council would not liable for any loss of business or anything like that. But and I know I've spoken before with you and, and other members of Cork County Council. Funding, I mean, you're not awash with money. I'm assuming the executive are saying we don't have any spare cash. Well, yeah, that that is the. Um, but I think the, it 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 has to come to this negotiation now, or or it has to come to that the parties remain and because I think there is difference of opinion there as well in relation to that it could be done around the parties because in um, at a later stage when funding is available, um, the footpath. And there, there is talks of doing the footpaths in Mallow and grounding the, the cables underneath there as well. So there would be other works down there, and, and that's all in relation to funding as well. But that that would be another uh, job that would have to be done in Mallow. What, uh, but what, what if a business owner refuses to pay? Will will the council just simply take the parklet down? This is um, this is what I hope that everyone that could will can prevail because if anyone has to pay them costs, any business here in town or anywhere. They won't be there, um, and and that is, and they have said that to me as well, and and I can quite understand that because we have businesses like that closing in a lot of our towns and cities, and um, you know we we need to keep these businesses in matter. We need to keep the employment as well from it, and it, it it's so important, and and I I hope that that some funding somewhere could be found, or 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 if. The last alternative, obviously, is that they remain and that they work. And they work around. But if, exactly. it's, but if it's a full resurfacing job, it's probably unlikely they'll be, able to, they'll be able to do that. I can see a couple of people are saying that those parklets should be removed full time and return the parking spaces. Were they not ever a temporary arrangement? Yeah, and, and yeah, that, that as well, I suppose, but the success to them as well. And I suppose that, look, I know we, we do have a meeting on parking um, in Friday, uh, tomorrow, in an in committee meeting on parking. And then one thing at that is we'd be looking for extra car spaces in Mallow that can be could be provided somewhere. Um, one area mentioned is in particular is where the bus stop is down the park there, right across there, where you could probably get 50 or 60 cars. Parking like spaces, yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. And, 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 and Liam, as I mentioned in my introduction, picking up on the piece in the in the Corkman today with Bill Brown, do you think other towns and villages are going to be watching what's going on in, in Mallow, particularly around this issue of charging the businesses to remove and re-erect the parklets? Yeah, and there's no doubt they are, but, but I suppose they, they'll all go back to the licence agreement with the council um, that they could be removed at any stage, you know, and I think that was there. But we we're, we're, the times we are in at present, that's where we have our major issue here is, is because of, of um, uh, rising costs. Everything. Uh, yeah, businesses are under pressure. They're, they're businesses just, are only struggling. Just, yeah, businesses yeah. are only struggling. Yeah, and, and it's, 100%. It's, we don't want them businesses there in Mallow, any one of them businesses to go down under and, and, and it would okay. be a shame. And, and, and when does resurfacing work begin, do you say? Did you say the 15th? Well, they're, they're talking the 15th of February to the 3rd of March. That's next week, okay. Yeah. That's next week. Okay, there's more to go on this story for sure, Liam. In the meantime, thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme this morning.
Okay, Good morning to you. That is uh, Fianna, uh, Fianna Gael councillor uh, Liam uh, Madden. Hi, Patricia. With regard to that story about the parklets uh, in uh, Mallow Town and needing to remove them to resurface the road, I was always of the opinion that they were only put in place where indoor dining was disrupted because of COVID. In my opinion, they should come down permanently in Mallow and indeed elsewhere. I and many more do not shop in Mallow. Uh, because they've taken up so many of the parking uh, spaces, the on-street parking spaces. They've ruined the town. Get rid of them for good, please, says one uh, listener. And I wonder how many people, and there's a a few others like that as well, saying we need more parking spaces. So it's interesting to hear Liam saying they are going to look at uh, parking, but how many people like those parklets? I mean, certainly during the summertime, they're lovely. I've I've sat out on them uh, many a time and had a a cup of coffee and watched the world go by. Um, Are are people in favour of them or are people with some of the people who are contacting us this morning saying we need more parking spaces we don't need spaces to sit down outside a cafe your thoughts welcomed on that you're listening to Cork Today on replay phone and text lines are currently closed this is coming in from the traffic department to say that there has been a road traffic incident on the M8 southbound that's the approach to the Dunkettle interchange at the traffic lights with one lane now blocked services are on site but you're please asked to approach that area with extreme care okay that's the the M8 southbound approach to Dunkettle down to one lane please approach with uh, care some of your comments coming in on the parklets that we mentioned in the last hour and the possible well not the possible there seems to be a row erupting between the business owners who use these outdoor dining areas and the council councillor resurfacing Main Street in Mallow parklets have to be removed there the councillor saying to the business owners you knew when they went in that if they ever had to be removed you're going to have to pay the cost of it and it's hard to get an an accurate it's somewhere between 6,000 and 10,000 and that's a lot of money if you're a small business barely surviving at the moment with the rising cost of, of everything so I can see it I can see it from both sides I can see it from the council side they are really strapped from cash but I can also see it from the business owners at point of view they're trying to keep the front door open and any additional expense that they probably weren't expecting uh, that can come as a bit of a bombshell uh, to them anyway Pat says Patricia on the park I actually love sitting out and having a cup of coffee on one of these outdoor seating areas, but not on a noisy street of traffic. There, According to Pat, there are six of them on Main Street in uh, Mallow. Only two of them are used. Some of them are becoming a bit of an eyesore. Like the horrible plaza, says uh, Pat. So many people not liking the uh, plaza. Uh, thank you for that uh, Pat actually Jim is somebody else who's not a fan of the plaza he said sure it's no wonder the council have no money when they blow a million euro on such senseless things like the plaza in Mallow which at the end of the day only has a few seats and a monument and now it's used by young fellas on their skateboards and then it causes a bottleneck to the traffic at the spa cutting it down to one lane of uh, traffic and then the main street in Mallow has to be resurfaced probably every five years will this be an, an, an issue every time they have to resurface the streets well yeah I don't know if they resurface it every five years Jim but yes it will be uh, the, if it needs the if the street needs to be resurfaced or if some work has to happen with the footpaths then the parklets will have to be removed stored and then re-erected and that's where they're coming up with this price of somewhere between six and uh, ten thousand but the the executive of the council are very clearly pointing out 
that all of the businesses that have these outdoor dining facilities, that when they were erected, and listeners are right, they were erected at the time of COVID. There wasn't indoor dining. It was to encourage people to use the little cafes and to have your outdoor dining and keep everybody as safe as possible. And then I suppose a lot of people saw them as a success. The business obviously saw them as a success because they want them to stay in place. But it was pointed out to the business owners that when those parklets went in during COVID uh, times, that it was pointed out to them that they may be required to move them at some point and that would have to be at the business owner's uh, expense. And according to the executive of the council, the business owners all signed an agreement on that basis. So it's not like the council are coming back saying, you know, we didn't tell you that if we ever needed to move it, you're going to have to pay for pay for it yourself. They were told that in advance. But that, again, doesn't take from these small businesses that are desperately just trying to stay open so that you can very much see it from uh, two sides of the fence. 0818 103 103 on Bertie Ahern and Bertie Ahern coming back into the Fianna Fáil party. He paid up his 20 euro membership and we don't know did he pay in cash or did he revolute the money to Fianna Fáil but he had to pay his 20 euro. He paid it in December and he's now a signed up card carrying member of the Fianna Fáil party and that's led to people saying Saying good move, bad move, and of course speculation on could Bertie Ahern be a possible contender to run on the Fianna Fáil ticket for Orson Uthron in 2025. Keith uh, is a supporter of Fianna Fáil, but he doesn't agree with Bertie Ahern being taken back into the party. He remembers back in the day when house prices were ri- rising. Keith said that Bertie Ahern said that anyone who didn't get on the property ladder should kill themselves. He says that was a disgraceful comment. Bertie Ahern brought the country into disrepute and should not be allowed to run for president. He said if you're looking for a former Taoiseach who should run for president, then Keith, as a Fianna Fáil supporter, says Enda Kenny. He says Enda Kenny saved the country. I'm questioning how much of a Fianna Fáil supporter you are if you're saying it's, it's, you're jumping over to Fianna Gael. But regardless, I, can I just go back to the comment that you made about Bertie Ahern? Now, some may remember this particular comment. I had to do a quick Google search to remind me of when it actually happened. It was actually back in 2007. Bertie Ahern was actually uh, speaking about people. It wasn't to do with people buying houses, uh, Keith. At the time, Bertie Ahern was speaking about people who were talking down the economy and it was a speech he made in 2007 to the Irish Congress of Trade Union and at the time there certainly was economists were saying this bubble is going to burst and of course Bertie Ahern and other politicians didn't want to hear any of that. Who's right now, says you. Anyway, during the speech, he said, and I quote, sitting on the sidelines, cribbing and moaning is a lost opportunity. I don't know how people who engage in that didn't commit suicide, because frankly, the only thing that motivates me is being able is being able to actively change something now. He got pulled up, obviously, straight away on those uh, comments. And he did apologise afterwards for this, uh, the speech. He actually apologised later on uh, that day um, for it. And it was just a uh, bad choice of words, I think, was, was, was what he said. But at the time, it was to do with the economists. Anyway, that's the comment that Keith still remembers. And Keith, you have a good memory, because as I say, it was back in 2007. Uh, Killarney Lister says Micheál Martin has done wonders for the Fianna Fáil party and I really admire him but bringing back Bertie Ahern I'm wondering will that be one of them 
only time will tell, says A. Killarney listener. Many other people are saying Bertie Ahern would make a great president of Ireland, would love the idea of him running. Others are saying I would vote for Bertie Ahern if he ran for presidency. And then Jim says Bertie Ahern did great work on the peace talks and actually went straight from his mother's funeral to an important peace process talks at the time. So he'll always be remembered for his commitment to the peace talks. But I'm wondering if he goes for pre- president, would it actually divide Fianna Fáil supporters, Jim Ponders? I think it would. I think it would divide the nation, Jim, because certainly just on the snapshot of the texts and calls we're getting in this morning, there does seem to be a divide. There's a divide between the people who think he's fantastic and he's, you know, a great politician and, you know, everybody and nobody will ever take from his contribution to the peace uh, process. And people should always remember that. And people are saying he would make a great uh, president. And then others are saying no, like Keith, remembering a comment he made uh, the uh, and he, he himself said a bad choice of words in 2007. Just in the last hour we've received a press release telling us that the Irish Community Air Ambulance based in Rathcool in North Cork has announced that it's changing its name to Critical and is stepping back from the provision of its helicopter emergency medical service and they'll focus instead on expanding its network of volunteer emergency medical responders uh, into more communities across the uh, county. To find out what's going on, Micheál Sheridan, CEO of the Community Air Ambulance and now CEO of Critical uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Hall. Good morning, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. What's going on here? <laughs> well, I think the first thing to say, obviously, to your listeners is that for, the, for them not to worry, uh, whilst we're stepping away from the provision of the Air Ambulance Service, um, the, the HSE and National Ambulance Service uh, will be taking over um, and providing a service um, out of Raccoon, um, and that will continue to provide an Air Ambulance Service for for the area that we've been covering since 2019. So there's a there's a really positive news story in this in that there will now be a government-funded air ambulance service available in the region. And that's what you've been looking for all along? Yeah, so from, from, from day one, and I think, you know, it's even been validated by commentators from the National Ambulance Service who, who, who have said that publicly, that uh, we have proven the need for it. Um, and we, we always felt that it should have been a government-funded service. Um, and that's now what's happening. So for the region, um, it's really positive. And, and from our perspective today, we're very proud um, that all the hard work and effort uh, that we've put in as a team, but also this huge support that we got from, from the community, um, from, from right across North Cork, um, West Cork, into Kerry, Limerick, everywhere around the region, uh, all of those donors and supporters uh, who supported us in our efforts to, to keep the helicopter flying um, our efforts, everybody's collective efforts have been worth it. And for us now... Yeah, because I, I remember you know, back, I mean, it would have been before you uh, took over, Michal. I mean, there was times where uh, the, air, the air ambulance was threatened with having to be grounded because they were running out of funding. And it just seemed crazy that people were out shaking buckets to try and get the money in order to pay for the fuel and the other costs associated with the, the air ambulance. I mean, it should always have been state funded. Yeah, look, it was a it, it's a very expensive um, machine to operate. Um, it was costing, in in terms of on an annual basis, uh, it was costing about 1.3, 1.4 million euro. Um, and on top of that, then in the last 12 months, obviously with with what was happening in Ukraine, uh, we saw things like fuel costs in, increasing by about 70, 80 percent in some cases. So, yeah, look, I I think 
you know, people have always felt, and, and you said it yourself, that it should have been government funded. Um, that's now what's happening. So there will be, it will be operated and provided by the HSC and the National Ambulance Service. So it'll be a- as is, still operating out of Rathcool. Is it the same helicopter? No, it's a different helicopter. So we, we've, we've had a contract with a company called Sloan, who are based in the UK uh, since 2019. Um, so no, the, the HSC and the National Ambulance Service, they're they're now going to be providing the service with a different with a different provider, let's call it. A okay, but but provider. still out of Rathcool. Still out of Rathcool. So what we've agreed, um, even though we 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 have been based there and we'll be based there for next month or so, um, we we've we've agreed to step aside and to um, and for the service to be based out of there. That's it makes absolute sense. Rathcool, uh, while it might seem to a lot of people to be a strange place to be based from, it's actually geographically uh, probably the best place. Uh, within the region for the for the service to be based out of, so for us it was it was it, we didn't even have to think about it. For us, the service was going to be based out of Rakul, and, and we were willing to to facilitate that. Okay, so that's so so the so the the Irish Community Air Ambulance, your group as we know it, is now changing to Critical. It's the Emergency Medical Response Charity, is what you're going to be known as. So tell us now what you're now going to be doing. Yeah, we're going to be doing what actually we've always been doing. Um, so the charity was set up in t- 2009. Um, and since then, the charity actually has had uh, teams of volunteer doctors responding uh, to 999 calls across the country. Uh, in the past number of years, we've had doctors in places like North Kerry, uh, North Cork. Uh, at the moment, we have doctors in places like Donegal. We've, one of our doctors was in Creeslow when that happened. Uh, we have a team of doctors in Mayo, uh, Dublin. We have new people joining in places like Wicklow, Waterford, uh, Kildare. Um, and we actually, uh, in the last few weeks as well, we're starting to have conversations um, about setting up um, a similar service in North Cork, which we're very excited about. Is um, it, are we talking similar to the West Cork Rapid Response that certainly talking, our exactly. West Cork so, listeners know about? Yeah, so actually, uh, our organisation today, critical even, as, as we've now rebranded to, there's a there's a, a, a direct connection between West Cork Rapid Response, East Cork Rapid Response, and even Wicklow Rapid Response. They're actually they're all nearly part of the same. They all share the same DNA, uh, the same type, the same group of people were were involved in, in in setting them all up. So so it's exactly like West Cork Rapid Response. Um, what we're looking at is is how we can replicate what people are familiar with. So Dr. Jason, everybody's very familiar with with, with Jason and the amazing work that he does. We have similar doctors, just not in West Cork, um, who do the same sort of work. Um, and what we're looking to do uh, through our announcement, and now that we're stepping away from from the provision of the air ambulance service, is to now focus our effort on having the likes of um, Dr. Jason or, or our. We have um, we have Dr. Jerry Lane in Donegal, and we have Dr. Andy Patton in Dublin, and uh, Dr. Mark Ruddy in Wicklow. So what we're looking to do is to have more of those um, doctors who are responding in vehicles provided by the charity um, and those vehicles obviously are fundraised um, by local communities and I think today just while I have the opportunity we're, we're extremely grateful to, to the Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once it's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. 
That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. To your listeners and to people in the region for having helped us to achieve what we've achieved. Um, but we now want to do the same on the ground. Um, and we'll only be able to do that and if people support us in the same way as they support the air ambulance. And what we'll do in return is we'll provide volunteer medical responders in communities. Um, and we're working very closely with the National Ambulance Service to look to see uh, can we build out that into more communities as we, as we move forward. So just really important for people to know we're not going anywhere um, and we're still a charity and we still have a commitment to the community, including North Cork, West Cork um, and, and Kerry and places like that. So and we just would, would ask people to, to stay with us um, as they've done over the last number of years. Yeah, and I'm thinking of people who possibly have already organised or in the process of organising a fundraiser with the Irish community Air Ambulance uh, in mind uh, because people were, as you say, extremely generous and I've certainly noticed since you've taken over there's been so much more uh, fundraising for the community Air, Air Ambulance which is, which is a terrific uh, thing because we know it has and will save lives into the future. If there is some group who was planning on doing something for the Air Ambulance, are you now saying do it instead for, for the rapid response units? Well, you see, the charity, the charity has always been the charity. It's just that when, when we took over in, in, in 2021, um, we made the decision to, to trade as Irish Community Air Ambulance. But the charity itself, so when people have been donating uh, over the last number of years, they've been supporting the, the helicopter service but they've also been supporting the charity and they've also been supporting the work that we've been doing on the ground with our critical care doctors and our volunteer doctors. So when we put together a, a responder bag uh, for one of our doctors, so when we have to buy new equipment for a doctor, the charity has been funding that. People who have been donating to the charity have helped to fund that as well. So, um, so we're not, I think it's really important for people to understand why we were publicly saying, you know, why we were publicly trading as Irish Community Air Ambulance. The charity has always been the beneficiary of the support of donations from uh, from the public. So we would ask people. So you know, we we have a number of very high profile fundraising events that are happening this year. Um, they're very aware of of our change um, and our focus now on the ground, and they're very supportive of that plan. And um, because they realise actually that you know while while we might have while while there might be a helicopter um, and it's tasked to West Cork. Um, if there's if there's an, an incident or an accident somewhere else in the region or in the county, uh, what we want to try to do is to at least have a, a, a critical care doctor or an advanced doctor who might be in that community who might be able to respond 
um, and start some life-saving intervention. Yeah, and particularly if they have one of these uh, rapid response uh, vehicles, uh, Michal. I mean, I remember when I was involved with the fundraising for the Jeep for Jason, one of the, one of the first uh, rapid response vehicles down in uh, West Cork. I mean, the, the equipment that they're kitted out with is incredible. Oh, absolutely. So the type of vehicle that we're, we're, we're looking at, uh, we have the number, we have three new vehicles coming on stream in, in March, April. Um, so the vehicles themselves, the ones, the type that we're looking at, the vehicle itself, costs about €50,000 uh, to provide all of the lights and sirens and all of the shelving inside and to make it, to turn it into an emergency vehicle, costs about €15,000. Uh, and then on top of that, you're looking at the equipment that's inside them. So, uh, for example, a, a ventilator, a portable ventilator that could be used to, to take over breathing for somebody, they can cost about eighteen or €19,000. So... Mm. In effect, you're talking about to put a brand new vehicle on the road with all of the equipment that it needs for a doctor to be able to respond, you know, where our figures are about 115, €116,000. Um, but what we're also looking to do is to provide equipment to what we will call advanced care doctors. Uh, these could be GPs in the local community who have an interest in what we call pre-hospital emergency medicine. So going to road traffic collisions or to farming accidents. Uh, what we're working with those doctors around is saying we'll give them the equipment, but they'll travel in their own cars. And to set up one of those uh, services with an advanced doctor, it's, it's, it still would cost it would cost about twenty five thousand euro to do that. So that's so what we're looking at is top of our triangle would be critical care doctors in vehicles responding, like Dr. Jason does in West Cork. We're just looking at everywhere else in the country, um, and then below that you're talking about advanced doctors who can still go deliver life-saving interventions but they're doing it in their own vehicle but with equipment provided by the charity that has been donated you know has been yeah and, and whenever whenever i do interviews like this or when we're when we have been in the past over the community or ambulance you never know the the day or the hour when you are a family member are going to need the services and that's why it's so important that we all support and and you know continue to support the work that you're doing oh 100 percent. i mean like it's the one thing we can all be sure of. You know, we really don't know what's what's going to happen. We could be we could be cycling on the road and get hit by a car. We could be the car driver um, who gets hurt in that incident. Um, our child could pull a pot of boiling water down on top of themselves. Um, you know, somebody could have a, a cardiac arrest on the street or in a home. Um, you know, so uh, the other thing as well that we're 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 excited to look at as well as the charity. Um, one of the things that we're going to start to do is look at how we can start to go into communities and help to train people uh, to respond, particularly in areas like traumatic farming accidents. So we've been working with a number of farming organisations and we've been having conversations about starting to work with farming communities and farm families um, to help them to maybe understand what they can do in the event that there's a traumatic incident on a farm and yeah, something goes wrong. the helicopter has seen those yeah. over the last number of years. Yeah. Listen, um, it, it, does, it, it sounds like you're going to be as busy as ever. So when do you officially hand over um, uh, the, the air ambulance when, when you're no longer involved with that? Yeah, so formally we, we, we hand over on the 28th of this month. Um, okay. But if people are in the Raccoon area, what they might start to notice is the number of helicopters flying around so there is a transition period 
Someone um, wants, Pat wants to know how many helicopters will be based in Rathcool. Do you know when they... Uh, our understanding is two. What, two. what would okay. be called a primary helicopter and then a backup helicopter. Okay. And so our understanding is two. Well, uh, well, listen, sense has prevailed at long last and that the state is now going to uh, fund it. Um, uh, but but, but I, I imagine, is, is there a sense of sadness that you're, you're moving away from the air ambulance side of it, Micheál? Oh, look, it's been a, it's been a thrill. <laughs> it's been a real challenge because, you know, our funding-wise, for a period of time, you know, it was, it was, it was, it was work. It was, it was a tremendous effort from the team and from the community to get from where we were to where we got to. Um, yeah, absolutely, there is. But you know what? Like at the end of the day, our job for the last number of years was to provide the service, and and while we were doing that, prove the need for the service. We have achieved that. So actually, I don't think. You know, while while we'll miss the excitement of hearing a helicopter taking off and you know it coming back and knowing that it's gone to do something to help somebody out, um, you know, there's real celebration for us as well in that. You know, we have we have proved the need, um, you know, and it's not often that that an organisation proves the need for a service and then the government go and fund it. Um, but but we've achieved that, and I think you know for us, um, you know, if I was somebody down in Allies today, or you know, in in Court Mac, wherever it might be, you know, would I be delighted to know that there's a, a government-funded, dedicated service now going to be available? Um, absolutely. Um, you know, I think that's what people need to okay, reflect and on. I, and I can see there's a lot of commentary coming. People are very disappointed. I'm all to hear that uh, that 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 you're going and it's it's moving on to the stage. People are worried about going forward. If there's cutbacks, is it the first thing that's going to be cut? Somebody else said by fundraising, this felt like this the air ambulance was uh, ours. It felt like it was our project. So I can see uh, not everyone. Uh, people are just fearful, I suppose, going forward. If there was to be cutbacks, could it be something that would be reduced? Yeah, I would. My sense is that the reason that government have stepped in to fund it is because they realise how important it has been uh, to the region. Um, so you know, I I wouldn't necessarily share that fear. I think I think that the system realises that in 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 geographically in the area that the helicopter has been in, our helicopter has been in, and their helicopter will be in. You know, it's a challenging environment in terms of road network. Um, and distance, primarily, dis- uh, particularly distance from CUH, you know, which is the trauma centre for the region. Um, you know, so look, you know, we, we feel the same as everybody does. You know, it was our it was our project. Um, we have loved running it. Um, we know that people have bought into it. You know, mm. I've, I've met so many people in communities who said it was one of the most reassuring sounds that they could hear. Um, I think the important thing for people to, to to know and to remember today is there will still be a helicopter in the region, um, you know. And I, you know, the commitment is there. Is my understanding from government? Okay. Yeah, and and that's down to all of the people who over the years have uh, fundraised so loyally for the community air ambulance. Listen, we leave it there, um, Hall, No doubt we'll speak again. But in the meantime, thank you for that and thanks for joining us. Munster Technology University MTU says that the ransomware attack will take some time to resolve fully. MTU's Cork campuses, as we know, are closed as a result of this incident with a phased and a managed return to teaching and learning. Now, it is planned 
from next Monday. A statement said that certain systems were encrypted for the purpose of demanding a ransomware. Now, Paul Gallagher is the vice president of finance and admin at MTU. And earlier this morning, he spoke to our news reporter, Mairead Tuig, and also in attendance was Virgin Media news reporter, Paul Byrne. Here's what he had to say. Paul, can I ask you, first of all, you've come to this stage. How serious an incident is it? And, you know, what can be done to rectify it now? It's potentially a very serious incident in terms of a ransomware attack. I think we were very lucky, though, in that our IT department caught the attack quite early and has left us in a relatively strong position in terms of dealing with it now. So we're not actually dependent on an encryption key, for example, to get our systems back. But undoubtedly, this is going to take quite some time to resolve fully. Are you surprised that they were able to break through because, you know, in this day and age, security being so tight? It's an issue that's been at the top of our risk register for quite some time. We've done a lot of work in the last year in putting a cyber team in place internally, and that's really standing to us now as we deal with the problem. But look, I think it's just a feature worldwide at the moment that these attacks are happening, and uh, I think everybody is, is liable to such an attack. Why did you just come out last night and say it when you, you knew what it was all along? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I guess it was Monday really before we fully knew the extent of this, but we're in a process now. Uh, we're taking a lot of advice from the National Cyber Security Centre, and there is a protocol that we're following with them in terms of how we deal with it. Part of the problem is that as soon as you go public, the ransomware attacker becomes aware of it and potentially you're exposing yourself to more risk at that stage. And you mentioned there about the, the encryption and it, was there a ransom demanded? So we caught the attack quite early uh, and there, what we did find is a file on the system that had uh, a, a page and this is something that would normally flash up as once the, the attack is fully complete. On that there is a link into um, a system but again we're working through the national advisors in relation to that and we haven't directly engaged. And from Monday now the, the planned reopening, a phased one, so what's the, the plan there? So very much I mean our focus early in the week has been on the IT response but we feel that we've got that reasonably well structured at this stage. Our focus now over the next couple of days through our management structures is to get students back on campus. There will be limited network access, but we're really pushing to uh, towards maybe chalk and talk. But to get students back on campus is a priority for us. And in terms of, let's say, if someone had a deadline this week, I presume they'll be eased and, and people will be given due accommodation. Yeah, so we're putting contingency measures in that. Fortunately, it's quite a good time in the semester. Reasonably early on, we don't have examinations wholesale, for example, so it's containable at the moment. The second semester tends to be a bit more flexible in that we have more breaks in it, so it's a bit easier in terms of time skills. OK, that's Paul Gallagher, Vice President of Finance and Admin at MTU. I loved his line about when they do go back, and please God, they will be back on a phase basis from next Monday. It'll be back to chalk and chalk and talk, back to the good old days. But it's the students that are the ones that you would really uh, feel for. I saw some on the news yesterday. It's getting very stressed out about projects that need to be done and just worried uh, about their own timetable and their own study that needs to be done. So when uh, Mairead was up at MTU this morning, she also spoke with Rebecca Casey. Now, Rebecca is studying home economics and business and she spoke to Alan Nunn who is studying automotive technology and um, and management and both of the students are second year students at MTU and here's what they had to say. Well 
like at first finding out about it, um, I think it was around Monday, we heard there was some sort of IT breach. Wasn't really exactly sure what that meant or what was going on. Um, but since campus was shut down for a few days, we knew it was like serious enough. Um, and then getting another email yesterday saying that campus was closed for the rest of the week because we were meant to go back today and they've closed it for a further two, like two days until Monday. Um, then you, the degree of worry kind of increases a small bit because you're not sure exactly what's happening and um, especially knowing the college is all of, like details and fee payments and all that kind of thing, you will worry that that's kind of susceptible. Um, so yeah, there's, there's a small degree of worry there and I'm not exactly sure like what's happening or how it's being dealt with um it's definitely it's definitely a worry um that because you're like you always hear things going on about like breaches and people's um pro like details being being like um stolen or or leaked um so when it when it actually happens in like your university or somewhere near you it's kind of like yeah it's kind of a surreal feeling um so there is a degree of worry there but I'm sure like the college has kind of is like working on the, the like the issue um, and they have um, systems put in place to deal with this so um, I'm not too worried but there's always like a bit of worry there. And your course is quite a practical based led course I take it so you're, you're being kept away from a lot of it are you by being off like? Yeah we've had a good few practical classes this week now that have been cancelled so we kind of have to either try and catch up ourselves the college hasn't really said exactly what we're meant to do yet but being like a week is a lot huge amount of time college wise to be out and not have um, material done so kind of worried if we do go back next week how far behind we're going to be and how we're going to be able to catch up with all the um, all the material yeah I suppose it is yeah I do have practical like assessments like some of my modules are like continuous assessment and like the, there could be a lot of marks for say practical exams which are now pushed back quite a bit so there is a kind of degree of concern and certain uh, assignments online might have different dates now. So I'm not kind of sure when they'll be due. So I'll have to catch up pretty quickly, I'd say, when the college is fully open again. So it's like a lot of like addresses, phone numbers and possibly payment details. I'm not sure about that, but they keep certain details on file. And like, I suppose like there is a lot of kind of scams in Ireland at the minute, say Unpost, for example, um, like scams for your money and true Revolut as well. So I suppose, yeah, I do have a bit of, bit of a concern, but... I, say, I, be, I'm a, I believe the uh, college has hired a IT specialist and a cyber attack team to try and deal with the issue. And I suppose when you're when you get time off, I suppose in school it's great, but in college it's probably a bit more of an inconvenience, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it is a bit of an inconvenience because I, I actually do commute from home. I do about um, just over 100 kilometres a day. I commute, I have a diesel, so it's, that's, that's the reason I got it for it to kind of help with the fuel economy. But um, yeah, it is an inconvenience because I, I actually get up uh, quite early every day. I get up at about 6.45 to be up here for my 9 o'clock lectures because the traffic can be quite busy in Cork early in the morning. And because, yeah, I suppose yeah, it is a kind of time, in, in, interferes with my time, or, uh, inconvenience to my time and my money, which is quite tight at the minute in the economy. Goodness me, he commutes 100 kilometres a day just to get to college. I mean, that just uh, sums up how difficult it can be and the lengths that some students go to to get their uh, education. OK, so thanks to um, Rage Tuig, our news reporter, for heading over to MTU th uh, this morning just with that ransomware uh, attack and certainly listening to the students and listening to Paul Gallagher, the Vice President of Finance, it is going to take some time before it is fully uh, resolved. But hopefully with the plan to start on a phased basis, 
basis. Let's get the students back into college at where it seems isn't those students they want to be. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. As we've been doing all this week, we have some of the very first tickets off the printing press to get you to see Rod Stewart live at the Marquee on the 20th. When you hear a song like we just did, that was your 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 clue to text or WhatsApp us. And Tony O'Flynn from Carrick Tuhill heard the song and sent in a text immediately. Good afternoon to you, Tony. Hi, Patricia. How are you? How are you, how are you today? I'm not today, thank you. A Rod Stewart fan? Yeah. Are you? Yeah. Have been for some time? Yeah, missed the one in Parky Key, but delighted now if we can... Uh, if you can grab things. a pair of tickets to yeah. Live at the Marquee. Okay, simple question. It's true or false. Rod Stewart has sold over 250 million copies of albums and singles worldwide. True or false? True. It is true, absolutely. Uh, it's incredible to think that he sold that many copies it's yeah. like 250 million and and I was saying to one of the winners during the week whatever it is about Rod Stewart's songs whether you're a fan or not we all know the songs yeah that's this that's this yeah Hopefully it'll be a good sing-along. Ah, it will. It will. And he promises to play all the hits as well. And we never, any time I play the song, people are straight away. We're, normally when when we do a competition like this, you'll have people saying, is that Rod Stewart? People are never wrong as soon as we play a Rod Stewart track. <laughs> well, well done. Who will you go with, Tony? And my wife. Yeah, my yeah. wife will come with me. Yeah. Okay, and she likes them too, doesn't she? She does now. <laughs> 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 it's not more than dragging someone along with you. I'm sure she loves Rod Stewart as well. Well, enjoy the night out on the 20th of June. Thanks very much. Thank Patricia. you, thank Tony. You. Bye-bye. Bye, bye. And bye. thanks uh, uh, for entering the competition. Tony O'Flynn in uh, Carrie Tool. We have one more pair of tickets to give away tomorrow, Friday, live at the Marquee on the 20th of June, which is, as I say, second date, now gone on sale for the 21st of June. Let me go to some of your calls and comments that will be coming into the programme. Oh, thank you, Betty. Betty was back on to us. Betty joined us on the comment line last week. I think it was uh, she was having a problem with the streetlight in Cantark and she'd been on to them since before Christmas and she was getting nowhere and wondered if we could intervene in any small way so we did we asked them to say please come on can you sort it out because Betty is somebody in the household who has special needs and it was getting really difficult because it was so dark at night and it can be still a bit dark in the mornings as well anyway Betty was on to us uh, to say that her street light was fixed yesterday so she's a very happy woman thank you for that uh, Betty and thank you for letting us know Uh, Mikey has been on to us he's got a problem with mice they're near his house. There's a nest of them somewhere outside the house. But the problem now is they're getting into the house. Uh, anyone have uh, solutions? You're obviously going to have to try to find out where that nest of mice are. Anybody got a solution or tips for Mikey? How can he get rid of mice that he's seeing them outside, but they're now starting to come into the house. I mean, I'm assuming you don't have any food waste lying around outside because that certainly would attract them. If anybody has advice for Mikey, share it with us, please. 0818 103 103. I spoke in the last hour with Michal Sheridan, uh, CEO of what is now a new charity called Critical um, what we currently know as the Irish Community Air Ambulance announcing that they are stepping back from the provision of the helicopter service. The helicopter service now is going to be fully state funded and it will be run by the uh, HSE. And and from the minute we all started to speak, not everybody is very happy with this news, including Michael, who says, Patricia, how are you? That was a very difficult interview to listen to in the last hour. I'd be worried 
for the future of the air ambulance. We can see how poorly the HSE run the ambulance service. I think people will be taken aback by the decision to change horses, albeit a very worthwhile, worthwhile, worthwhile charity and plan to operate the rapid response services on the ground instead saying the way branding was used and funds used for other other purposes also didn't sit well with me. This was one fantastic project that was a tremendous success. It'll be interesting to see how it develops from here on. I will be worried about how it will all be handled going forward. And that's from Michael, one of our listeners. And Michael, can I tell you, you're not on your own. We have a number of other people who are saying the same thing. You know, all we can do, because I did put that point to Micheál Sheridan, uh, and, you know, all we can do is hope and trust that the ambulance service in the HSE will continue to fully fund it and it will operate as successfully as it has done under the banner of the Irish Community Air Ambulance. But it was crazy that we were running this service that was and did save lives and that they were running it at times. They were doing it on a shoestring budget. I don't know how many interviews we did over the years where they'd, you know, they'd get on to us saying, can we please come on air? We desperately need to funds. We need extra funds in order to keep the ambulance in the air. And, you know, a service like that, that can, does and will save lives into the future should never have been relying on somebody shaking a bucket or somebody organising a quiz night or a dance or doing sponsored runs or walks. It should always have been state funded. And in fair the gang behind the Irish Community Air Ambulance fought from the very beginning for it to be fully state uh, funded. It's just it's it's a shame that they not ju- haven't just given the state funding to the Irish Community Air Ambulance and let them run it as it is. But, you know, I don't know why the why and how these decisions are made, but it's going to be uh, run instead by the by the HSE and the National Ambulance Service. And they're actually different helicopters and everything are going to be used. 0818 103 103. But 100 percent, it is a service that we need, particularly now uh, those that live and work in rural Ireland. We certainly need an, um, uh, an air ambulance service. OK, some of your thoughts coming in. Still getting in comments about Bertie Ahern and Bertie Ahern being welcomed back into the Fianna Fáil fold and would he make a good president of uh, Ireland? Someone by WhatsApp says Fianna Fáil are showing how desperate they are to bring Bertie Ahern back uh, in. He was dumped out of Fianna Fáil. Well, I'll correct you there. He, he, the, he was under threat of being dumped out, but he left himself, himself. Anyway, he lied at the time about having no bank account. Well, he, the Mahan Tribunal and what came out of the Mahan Tribunal, he says he had no bank account. What about Paddy the Plaster? Don't trust him. Always felt he was sneaky, says this uh, texter. Someone else says Fianna Fáil or nothing since they've become part of the Fianna Gael party. Someone else says OMG. Bertie Ahern bought a house for his girlfriend for money he had in his wardrobe and he didn't have a bank account and he was Minister for Finance at the time. He left this country on its knees and now he's getting a big fat pension for doing so. Do you know his pension is more than the President of America? I didn't realise that. We're a great country, aren't we? Says this texter. It doesn't matter what you do, you're welcomed back always with open arms. 0818103103. Our lines are open. John Paul's taking your calls. We are particularly looking for calls for Jane Pickett, our resident vet, because she's back with us after a little bit of a break. So if you've got a question to do with any of the animals in your household, get the questions in. John Paul will take the calls or you can text or WhatsApp a question to me at 086 
103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie. There's a clothes collection going to be held in Gagin Hall on this coming Saturday, two in the afternoon until half three. All old and unwanted clothes, shoes, bags, sheets, towels, duvet covers, all accepted. Also on Saturday, a coffee morning will be held in the Hunter's Rest in Mitchellstown from half nine in the morning until half eleven. The proceeds are going to St. Joseph's Foundation in Charleville. And on Sunday, Warren Abbey Heritage Association, in conjunction with the Community Council, they'll commemorate the 102nd anniversary of the Mornabi ambush with mass at half past 11 in Burnford Church, followed by prayers and then a brief talk by local historian, that's John O'Regan, and that'll be at half 12 at the monument in Mornabi. And uh, once again, a reminder that Blarney and District Historical Society are presenting an illustrated lecture uh, entitled Rural Electrification 1946 to 1965. That's happening tonight at eight o'clock. The venue is Blarney Secondary School and the speaker will be Frank Donaldson and everyone very welcome to attend. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Promoter, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG. This is Cork Today on C103. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork Today at C103.ie. And John Paul continues to take pet questions, please, for Jane. You can get those into us. Now, yesterday I mentioned that the medicines shortage supply in this uh, country has worsened. There was more uh, out of stock drugs uh, added to, to the list, in, including, you know, worryingly medicine for epilepsy. Yesterday we heard about medicines uh, that control high cholesterol um, are, are gone into short uh, supply and it's just it's something that doesn't seem to be abating. Uh, Tony Wilkinson is in Bandham and he is a Parkinson's patient and he's contacted us today and this is a big worry for Tony. Good afternoon to you Tony. Good afternoon Patricia. Tony you've discovered that a drug that you're on has is one of the ones that's gone on that list in short supply. That, that's right. Um, it, I was actually listening to your radio show um, coming back from Bantry, concentrating on the roads, and um, you were talking about this. And while we were coming back, a text came through, and my wife Kate took it, and it was from the pharmacy saying that they cannot get Rivetrol, which is um, to me an important medicine. It helps me um, sleep. Uh, with my Parkinson's and deals with my REM side of it. How long are you on Rivertrol? I've been on now for nearly six years and um, never had a shortage issue with it before. Um, But the thing is, uh, a colleague of mine, Gary Boyle, who's a great advocate for Parkinson's, has been highlighting the issue of medicines around Parkinson's becoming short and, uh, you know, there is a lack of it. And at one point, a critical piece of equipment to people with Parkinson's, which is the Duodopa pump, was actually stopped. And people go and have a procedure into their stomach so that they can get the necessary medicine fed into them. And suddenly they were not able to get this. So this is you know, harsh news, and for a good while, 
they had to find alternatives. And that's my worry. What's the, because I know whenever we get on to the Department of Health or whenever the Department of Health is asked about this, they'll always come back and say, oh, look, it's nothing really to worry about. There's always an, an alternative. For you with the river trawl, is there an alternative that you're aware of? So um, this morning I've just come back from my GP and I've been told to take a product called Atropan. Now, it's allegedly a cousin. Okay. And it doesn't always work. And if within a week um, I'm not having any um, progress with it, then there's nothing else for me. That's, that's it. It's either that and nothing. And a lot of people I know who have tried this, because I did a ring round yesterday and last night, have had the same issue. And, I mean, my pharmacist is ringing anyone and everybody trying to get hold of Rivertrol formally. Yeah, and listen, if it's on this list of drugs that's gone into short supply, even if your phar- and pharmacists do yeah. the most amazing work the way they ring around, they'll probably only be able to get you a month's supply. And, y- yeah. you know, and then this time next month, you'll be back on to me saying, guess what? I can't, yeah. I can't get it again. And then, yeah. you know, to hear... And I know, and I went through it yesterday, and I know there's a variety of reasons why there's drug shortages, uh, and I understand all of that. But there is an issue with pricing, even though Stephen Donnelly will say that there's no, that there's nothing wrong with the current, there's nothing to do with the current product shortages. Yet we hear in Portugal, they were having similar issues, as indeed other European countries are. They, They took the decision, their government took the decision to pay more for their drugs. And of course, if you've got a pharmaceutical company that only has X amount of stock, like say your river trial, mm-hmm. and you've got a, a country that's willing to pay five percent more or ten percent more. You know exactly these pharmaceutical companies are in it to make money. They're going to go with the highest bidder. No, I understand that uh, side and aspect of the story, Patricia, very well indeed. Um, but on um, uh, a fellow uh, radio channel this morning, uh, RTE One, there was. Um, a person talking, uh, a reporter talking to a person who was also saying that the government stocks have been run so low and that they are not reordering on a timely basis. So there is also, uh, you know, the the running time and the chain of um, ordering the stuff that's broken down and um, they come up with the excuses I agree you know oh it's because um, we can't get the goods or um, the war etc but this has been something it's been working for lovely for a long time and suddenly it's almost as though they've taken their eye off the ball and we're now in this situation where drugs are disappearing off the shelves pharmacies can't get what they have and patients are starting to suffer yeah, and I do feel for pharmacists because, you know, they're at the cold face of it then when a patient goes in and can't understand why they can't get a particular um, 
particular drug that they're looking for. I know there was supply chain reproductions, uh, repercussions coming out of China and that mm-hmm. was to do with packaging. You know, a lot of the packaging is made in yeah. China, goes to the pharmaceutical companies. So I, I, I absolutely can understand that. I also can understand when they say there was a shortage in things like the antibiotics. There was, there was an increase in the number of different flus and different mm-hmm. viruses, even though an antibiotic doesn't work for viruses, but different bacterial infections. So there was a run on um, antibiotics. But again, I think your point is right. We knew that once we came out of the pandemic, we knew that there was going to be an increase in different infections as people took their masks off and people started to mix. So surely what your point was, they should have foreseen that and said, OK, we need to order extra antibiotics. We need to have them in stock. I, I totally agree. I mean, this, this really is um, a situation where whoever does the procurement is, has dropped the ball, definitely, because you are ordering months in advance. Mm. And again, that takes away that um, thing with the pharmaceutical companies asking for far more money on certain products. That tends to happen when they have new drugs come along. But when they're drugs that are quite well established and have gone into a situation where other companies can now uh, produce them. When they're generic. Yeah, they're generic drugs. Yeah. There is no issue with that, you know. Yeah. So really, it is a procurement situation in my my eyes that they haven't looked forward enough and they have dropped the ball there. And I'm sure they're going to rebuff me on that, but hmm, that's what they always do, Patricia. Well, I know, yeah, when I spoke about it yesterday, the number of medicines in short supplies increased by 34% since last October. And yesterday, two that were added to the list, one treats high cholesterol and another treats yeah. high, high blood pressure. I mean, and not everyone can take cholesterol drug in particular can be quite specific to people. People can't take all of the cholesterol drugs. So it isn't a case of, oh, there'll be an alternative uh, there. And I mean, if somebody's cholesterol goes off the Richter scale, yeah. we, know, we know the consequences uh, of that. But for you, back to you, Tony, yeah. it's you needing to get a good night's sleep. And that's what Rivertrol does for you. That's, that's what it does. It, it helps me put me in the right place uh, to, to get my REM sleep and allows the body to recover and everything. But just again, going on that point that you were just raised there, Patricia, not every medication matches a person with Parkinson's. So my doctor, when I sat down, we were going, there was a list of medications come up and then typed in um, what is uh, approved for Parkinson's. Yeah. And up popped the one. So out of a list of 15, I think there was, the one popped up and it had a note next to it. Does not always work, sort of thing. So that the do- even the doctors, you know, they can't just say, oh, here, take this. Because with my Parkinson's, I have to watch the different medicines. It's a bit like when I nip into the pharmacist and I speak to the pharmacist. I cannot take any um, uh, medicines off the shelf and my pharmacist knows my situation will say Tony this is what you can take Um, you can't take that particular cough bottle Mm. this is the one that you can 
So you take no comfort from our Health Minister Stephen Donnelly uh, saying you don't need to worry there is loads of suitable product alternatives because there's not. Um, It's easy, very easy for him to say that. And as I said, there was a list of 15, probably. And when she pressed the button and entered money, there was one alternative with a little warning against. So they're not always there. And again, with certain illnesses, you cannot take every medicine available. You know, that is what he is not telling you. He's telling you there's a list of 15. Pick one from that. Well, I have got one, but it might not work. That's what I'm telling him. Okay, let's keep our fingers crossed for you with the Atavan. Tony, hopefully it will work and you'll get a good night's sleep. Will you keep in contact with us and let us know how you're getting on? We'll, we'll do. Thank you. All right. And you look after yourself. You look after yourself. Uh, bye bye. Uh, that's uh, Tony Wilkinson, a Parkinson's patient. Uh, w- another one going onto the list of uh, people with drugs going into short supply. And just to, to warn people, you know, if you have red- regular medication, you may start coming across that when you go into the pharmacist. And I feel for the pharmacist because, again, they're going to be at the cold face of it with people going, why haven't you got my uh, medication? And pharmacists do the most amazing job as Tony's pharmacist is doing, trying to ring around the country to see if anybody has the medication that Tony so uh, desperately needs. Oh, eight one eight one oh three one oh three. Just a quick couple of texts before we go to uh, Jane will be answering all of your pet questions. This is kind of linked to uh, pet questions. Well, <laughs> kind of linked to pet questions in the kind of linked to mice. We had Mikey on earlier who's having a problem with mice. Uh, they seem to be uh, outside the house and I'm imagining in my head a back garden or something, but now they're starting to come into the house. How do you get rid of, of mice? The number of people that have suggested, including Liz in Ballyclaw, tell Mikey get a cat. You know, it keeps the property nice and uh, clean. Lots of people are saying that. If Mikey wants to get a uh, cat and then someone else says, Patricia, I just had a mouse in my kitchen. Oh, Lord, I nearly died. I was moving out and on the second night I was moving out on the second night. uh, We put down a mouse trap. The mouse seemed to like Nutella. We left it out and snap it was gone. Put a few traps with Nutella on them peppermint oil also put it on some cotton wool it appears that mice I didn't know this mice don't like the smell of uh, peppermint oil I wasn't aware of that so hopefully uh, and lots of people saying best thing that uh, Ginny's very best thing that man can do is get a load of cats 0818 103 103 if you have cats or any other pet and you've got a question for Jane Pickett our resident vet now is the time to call us please John Paul is taking calls 0818 103 103 you can text her WhatsApp to 0862 103 103 Cork today on C103 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. After a bit of a break, Jane Pickett, our resident vet from the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the veterinary, uh, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group is back with us. Good afternoon to you, Jane. Good afternoon, Patricia. Are you nice and refreshed after your break? 
oh, you know, it was it was lovely. Was I, I have grand old suntan. I got to skip a few weeks of of, of the winter in Ireland, uh, and I, I'm back back at it now, nice and refreshed. And you've come back to the right time of the year as well with spring and everything. So that's exactly. a, it's a good time to get away. Okay, straight into questions for Jane. John Paul is taking the calls. 0818103103. Sheila wants to know: Does the urine of a male tomcat who's neutered does it still smell? The reason I'm asking is that somebody seems to be peeing at my back door, but my cat is neutered and I can't see any other stray cats locally and I'm wondering once you neuter a male cat does that horrible smell disappear? It usually tends to. Now if a cat is recently neutered the smell, the kind of tomcat urine smell can linger for for a few weeks certainly Um, but generally it does tend to disappear so I suspect although there may not seem to be any stray cats around it's quite possible that there might be or it might have just been an uncastrated kind of you know neighbouring cat it might not necessarily be a stray but they do like to scent mark things and you know it's a pungent smell it's unmistakable once you've smelt it once you know what it smells like Um, so I suspect it may be some other cat beyond your own unless your cat is just recently neutered in which case the smell be, may be lingering it's a very difficult smell to get rid of as well and i tend to find when they kind of uh, when a male cat kind of marks and scents an area sometimes they'll come back and, and do it repeatedly so i'd normally recommend trying to clean the area to remove the smell if you can with a pet safe cleaner just try and get rid of all of the the, the smell of ammonia if you can i suppose if it's outdoors it'll probably wear away eventually with the with the elements on it um but i suppose be, be aware that if it's an area that that cat whether it be stray or otherwise is within its territory it may well come back and try and remark it again so sometimes i find trying to put a, an object in the way of the area that they've decided to mark on can can help discourage them slightly. yeah i always found over the years bleach is great to get rid of the smell of them but then wash it down really well because if you if you have cats really around well. but it's the one thing that does but yeah. you need to completely get rid of it or they'll keep coming back and marking it okay let's stay with cats Absolutely. i have a two-year-old indoor male cat he will cry for food even when there's food in his dish if I offer what's in his dish with a spoon like a baby he'll eat it is it possible he just likes this attention or might it be something else that I should be worried about okay so um, I would say as long as your cat is otherwise really healthy well in himself and he if he generally has a good appetite if his appetite hasn't changed so some cases cats might be fed and have let's say a meal that will be taken up other cats will be fed kind of on an ad-lib grazing basis and that depends on your situation so if if it is a case that your pet is eating less than usual and seems to to not really want to eat what they're being given it is possible that there might be a medical issue behind it in which case if there is a reduction in appetite or a change in appetite it's best to check with the vet but if it is a case that let's say your cat has fed ad-lib nuts um, or there's nuts down for it and it just seems to you know think that it needs extra feeding sometimes um it could be behavior it could be kind of attention seeking behavior because i suppose cats are quite human centric when in 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 their domesticated way that they are now and they they do really crave attention so it may just be that you know there's a pattern of interaction that they can trigger for me they get a little bit of attention probably a few cuddles it may just be something as simple as that and that that's a way that they found that they can try and get your attention um I suppose uh, what I would say is it could be either. It really depends on whether your pet is otherwise well in themselves. Eating, drinking, peeing, pooing normally seems 
full of the joys of life, then it may just be behavior. In which case, although there might be a lot of meowing going on, it's, it's probably pretty harmless. But if you have any doubts as to whether your cat has a change in appetite or seems in any way otherwise unwell, just to be on the safe side, I get them checked out by a vet just before we before we write it off as behaviour. Yeah, but try and, try and ignoring it and try not putting the food on the spoon because if the cat's hungry, the cat will eat. The cat will eat, exactly. Yeah, and yeah. I think that the thing is maybe try, I suppose, if, if you do eliminate any causes um, health-wise of the issue, it may just be engaging with your cat in a different way to satisfy their need for kind of communication with you. So maybe trying to engage in a little bit more play or kind of going to have more cuddles it may just satisfy that that kind of interaction that they might be seeking if it is not health related um, and avoids lots of meowing and, and changes changes in the, the, the way you feed them. Nobody needs to be sitting there with a spoon feeding feeding their otherwise healthy cat unless there's a health issue. So I think it's it's best to avoid kind of propagating the behaviour. OK, and I put both of these as two separate questions in, but they're both referring to, to wild cats and, and feral cats. So I'll put them both in together. One says, uh, Patricia, this wild cat calls to my door every morning to be fed one of her eyes is in a terrible state there's no way the cat will allow me to pick her up to take her to a vet is there anything I can get for her she gets she does not seem distressed but the eye simply is not right so she does have a problem and and it needs to be treated and then Bridget said I have a cat a feral cat that's been coming to my back door for 18 years this is an old cat she has what looks like a tumour on her tummy I can't get her into a cage to get her to a vet is there something I could get to relax her in order to get her to the vet so in both cases, they need to trap these cats, don't they, and get them to the vet? Yeah, it does sound like it. It sounds like these are two lovely people who are doing their, you know, their best to take care of these cats that have kind of just stumbled upon their doorstep. So so well done for noticing that there's issues. This is really difficult because feral cats, by the nature of it, you know, the thing that keeps them safe is the fact that they're a little bit wary um, of, of strangers and in many cases, even humans that they know quite well. So catching them can be a real, real challenge. In both cases, I really do feel like these these cats sound like they need to be seen by a vet rather than something just prescribed. And and I suppose it's really important to understand there's there's real limitations to what we as vets can prescribe. So generally, we have to see the pet or have extreme knowledge of the pet to be able to prescribe, for example, pain relief, antibiotics. And that's just a safety measure to make sure that we're always doing the, the appropriate thing for that pet. So although it may be tempting to just try and get something to sort the issue, I suppose to be aware that it may not may not be the best fix in the world, but also in many cases as vets are, our hands are tied unless we've unless we've seen the patient. So what I'd say in this situation is the best bet I think would be probably to call the ISPCA. So as these are stray cats otherwise, and, and as long as you're sure that they haven't got an owner locally and they, they are genuine kind of feral strays, then it may be best to discuss it with the ISPCA that there are stray cats that you feel are unwell and they'll be able to guide you as to some options as to what could be done. In many cases, they'll, they'll give assistance or be able to guide you to a resource to give you assistance to deal with that. So well done for noticing those issues. Fair play to you for wanting to take it on the stray cat that's kind of landed on your door. And I, I would suggest if you if you Google the ISPCA, there's, there's a number there. For yeah, them. and I don't they, know if either of the listeners are in West Cork, but the that wonderful charity, we spoke with them actually on one of your slots when you, when 
you weren't here, uh, Rower oh. down in West Cork, who do the trap, neuter and release. And they have special cages that they use. They're brilliant at, at getting their hands on a feral cat to bring them back, neutering them. That if they were in West Cork, I'm sure they would advise people on how to get one of the cages and maybe give you a loan in one of their cages because uh, there is a knack to doing it. Uh, but if they're in West Cork, certainly give give Rower a call. They may be able to help out. And, and good luck with it uh, to both of them. Now, Donny's been on his 12-year-old Jack Russell got what Donny would describe as a kind of a seizure recently in that he fell down over on his side. He almost looked like he was dead. Then he peed a little bit and then he shot back up again and he's been perfect ever since. What could all that be about? Okay. Um, so first and foremost, it's it's really frightening when something like that happens as a pet owner. So I, I hope you're doing okay. It's always a worry when something happens suddenly like that. Um, it's good that he sounds like he's okay afterwards. That's brilliant. There could be really a few things going on here. Sometimes it could be a seizure. So that's kind of a change in brain activity. Um, and the classic things we see there, I suppose, if we think about humans with seizures, is kind of thrashing around, uncontrolled movements of the limbs, jerking. And sometimes, I suppose, in dogs and cats, they sometimes can pee and poo at the same time. Generally, they will get back to themselves afterwards, but it can take them a little while to do so. Um, so they sometimes seem a little bit off colour or kind of a little bit funny for a few hours afterwards. And, you know, there's a number of causes of that, particularly in an older pet that would need to be investigated by a vet. But the other thing it could be is it could be a genuine faint. So that's a little bit different. And that's to do with kind of blood flow around the body and blood supplying the brain. And sometimes that can signal that there might be heart or lung issues. Um, and again, sometimes they can have little collapse fainting episodes like this and seem quite normal quite quickly afterwards. Um, I would say in this situation, it's worth bringing it to the attention of your vet. I would recommend going for a, a full health check with your vet. Let them know the situation, even though it's the first episode, particularly in an older pet. We really need to take all the clues they give us to be able to help manage their health. So I wouldn't be in favour really of kind of watching and waiting um, without going to the vet first because it is an older pet and we want to take care of them. So visit the vet, tell them about the collapse, they'll do a full physical, physical exam and discuss the options with you. And it may just be a case that, you know, it might be a one-off and there may not be any any problems but it is possible you're better off getting it checked we can help the pet with okay and finally uh, Lorraine is about to rehome a little West Highland Terrier well done uh, Lorraine she remembers as a child they had a West Highland uh, Terrier who had diabetes somebody said to her recently that West Highland Terriers uh, they're more likely to get diabetes than other breeds would Jane agree so there's lots of different breeds out there that tend to get certain diseases so certainly Westies can get diabetes they can get lots of skin issues as well they, there are actually some quite unusual heart issues they can get um, that will be a lot rarer but I suppose what I will say is that whatever breed you take on there are always I suppose inherent predilections so things they may be a little bit more prone to than others now with a crossbreed I suppose sometimes that reduces a little bit um, or certainly there's a little bit of hybridism in there so you know you may not get a lot of the diseases that roll in the lines what I will say though is as long as your pet is otherwise healthy fair play to you for taking on and rehoming another dog I, I hope everything goes really really well for you but if you do have any concerns and you do have any concerns as regards let's say the signs of diabetes so that would be things like excessive drinking and weight loss and peeing a lot then do bring them to your attention of your vet. But it may be a case that it may not be something that affects your pet. Yeah, but it's good that you have an awareness as well. That's yeah, a, that's all important. Absolutely. Okay, absolutely. listen, have a lovely week, uh, Jane, and we'll chat to you next week.
you too Thank thanks you, for that and bye bye that is uh, Jane Pickett of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket part of the Mill Street Veterinary that's where I leave you for today my thanks to John Paul McNamara for uh, producing Nick Ritchie for the afternoon talk to Mark today on C103 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom now part of McCarthy Insurance Group want great advice you know who to talk to cmig.ie hey it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad high quality fashion without the price tag say hello to Quince I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters sleek leather jackets fine jewelry and so much more with Quince being 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.